I believe that we will get through this. I don't know. I'm not going to predict in terms of how many restaurants will make it. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, people will go back to eating out again. And in the meanwhile, if you love a restaurant, get carry out from it and, and tip really well. Ann Lemons Pollock has written five books about St. Louis restaurants. Her latest, Iconic Restaurants of St. Louis, is the only one published during a pandemic. She shared a heartfelt plea on today's show as we discuss these eateries. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org slash donate. That's stlpr.org slash donate. I'm Sarah Fetsky. This is St. Louis on the Air. St. Louis has a fondness for the tried and true. Never mind that buzzy new gelato shop. We'll never give up our Ted Drews. And why go anywhere else for Italian than the spot where Joe DiMaggio himself dined? I'm talking, of course, about Charlie Guido's on the Hill. Now, writer Anne Lemons Pollock has these St. Louis restaurants covered and many more. Her new book is Iconic Restaurants of St. Louis. It tells the story of 41 places that have stood the test of time. That includes some long shuttered restaurants that are gone yet not forgotten, and many that continue to serve hungry diners even today. And joining us today to talk about it is Anne Lemons Pollock. Anne, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, Anne, your book spotlights 41 places, past and present. How hard was it to choose just 41? Well, when the, when the publisher came to me to ask me to write this and they said, we want you to do iconic restaurants of St. Louis, my immediate thought was, I wrote about all of those in Lost Restaurants of St. Louis. Hmm which was two years ago. But um, there are, the more I thought about it, the more I began to come up with places that covered the spectrum, both large and small, famous and uh, holes in the wall that, that really showcased what St. Louis food and families are all about. Hmm. And that does seem to be really the story in this story. So many of these are family businesses, and so many of these stories are, you know, a couple people working really hard building a business. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, practically all of the places. There are a couple of places that could be considered chains in it, both living and dead, so to speak. But mostly, uh, my, my feeling was that this needed to be not chains and um, to give some idea of the stories of the people who worked so hard to share their hospitality and their food with St. Louis. Now, when you say chains, um, yeah, there's some chains in here, but best I can tell, these all are local chains. For example, you've got Emo's in here, and this is, man, if you're talking an iconic restaurant of St. Louis, love it or hate it, Emo's is right up there. Uh, what do you think made them the St. Louis juggernaut that they so clearly are? Well, that's, that's a very good question. Um, they were certainly very early to do delivery and carry out, and that helped. Uh, but I also think that they paid attention, and um, I, I don't think they had 
anything this big in mind when Marge and Ed Emo began making pizza um, that uh, could be delivered or carried out easily. You know, this. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, there, there's just um, uh, the right place at the right time. And the other aspect of Emo's, and indeed the famous Provel cheese, is that it's tidy. Hmm. And St. Louis really likes things that are tidy. So, so you think our love of Provel, maybe it's less about the taste and more that those slices really kind of hold together. You're not getting those long strings you get with mozzarella. Well, I don't think it's that. First of all, I think that Provel works far better if you were raised with it. Mm. And I was not, but I came to it very in my, in my young adulthood. Um, and, you know, there's a very famous pizza connoisseur in New York who says, there is no bad pizza. It's just that some pizza is better than others. And I like Emo's, and I think there's an Emo's gene because all of my grandchildren who live on the East Coast, all the way from uh, basically from Boston to um, almost Florida, uh, when they come to St. Louis, the traditional first night they get here, they want Emo's. That Emo's gene that's been carried down to the next generation. I love it. And if that's not a, a St. Louis icon, I don't know what is. If you're listening to our conversation today with writer Anne Lemons Pollock about her new book, um, we're curious to hear from you. What St. Louis restaurant do you consider an icon and why? You can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, we already heard from some listeners about this. We uh, hit them up on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. That's a, a private group, but it's very easy to join. You just have to answer a couple questions, then you can get in there and, and talk with us ahead of the show about what we're working on. Um, and so we got some ideas from there, also some from Twitter. Uh, Pat writes on Twitter, don't forget to include the Pat Connolly Tavern on your list. Besides being the oldest continually operating Irish bar in St. Louis and the oldest business in Dogtown, it's a landmark used by many to navigate around the neighborhood due to its huge neon sign. Drew writes, the White Knight Diner at 801 Olive, featured in the movie White Palace, starring James Spader and Susan Sarandon. Um, And it feels like once something has been featured in a movie, it almost immediately gives it that icon status. I think I'm thinking of Pope's Cafeteria here. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you can also talk about Duff's if you want to talk about restaurants that were in a movie. Uh, that was in White Palace as well, although it was supposed to have been a place in Greenwich Village. Hmm. And they had a New York taxi parked outside the front window um, on the very oldest uh, side of, uh, of Duff's. Hmm. But Duff's, am I right in thinking Duff's, uh, uh, Duff's did not make this book? Duff's was in the first book. Okay. So that seems like part of the reason that uh, somebody might expect an icon to be here and it's not. You didn't want any overlap. No, and the fact is there are, there are you know, you could, for example, you could do iconic restaurants of St. Louis. You could do iconic restaurants of the Hill mm-hmm. and fill a book. So decisions had to be made. <laughs> And you are the person making those decisions. We did hear from a couple listeners on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page, curious about Crown Candy Kitchen. They're not a lost restaurant. Uh, are, are they an iconic restaurant? They were in, when I 
you know, I had no idea this book was coming when I was approached to do Lost Restaurants. And to my astonishment, after as I had begun to sort of shape things, the editors at uh, Lost Restaurants said, you can put in a few restaurants that still exist. So I put in Al's uh, Steakhouse yes. downtown. I put in Bevo Mill, which is at the moment lost, but mm -hmm. it was open then. And I put in Crown Candy Kitchen. And it certainly is an icon. There's no question about it. So, yeah, it's not lost. It's in the lost book. It's not on the icon book, but it is an icon. I think that's a the great summary of the Crown Candy situation. We also heard from Douglas. He emailed to highlight several of his favorites. He mentions Bush's Grove was originally a stagecoach stop, but became the neighborhood tavern for the well-to-do. He also writes, Tony's is Tony's. I love the way Vince Bomarito would assure that our utensils were in their precisely correct positions. Tony's original location featured the maitre d' walking backward as he escorted guests up the stairs to the dining area, a touch of charm. The swordfish filet mignon is an unusual featured menu item. And he also adds that Schneid Horses had the best onion rings in the world. And thoughts on any of those three places? Oh, well, gee, let's see. Uh, Bush's Grove was in, was in uh, Lost Restaurants. Uh, Tony's is in this one. And uh, you're absolutely right about Vince adjusting the silverware as he talked to you. Uh, my goodness, what, what a fabulous, fascinating man. I could listen to Vince Bomber, I could have listened to Vince Bomarito talk about running a restaurant and teaching his staff to read a table to figure out who was uh, hosting the group. Hmm. And I use the word in a gender-free way. Um, <laughs> And um, uh, talking about staff and attitude and what he expected and so on and so forth. Um, we are the better for having had Vince Bomarito in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And I'm just holding my breath to see when James and his staff are going to be able to pull the new Tonys open in Clayton. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big change to no longer have this downtown. But I will say something your book gave me a new appreciation for is that there have been many more changes than those of us who've only been paying attention to, say, the last decade of, of St. Louis dining. Um, this is not the first location for Tony's, the one that it's, it's leaving um, to move to Clayton. No, the, the place, actually, the place where the Mater D's walked upstairs backward was not the first location either. It was originally in an area that is now um, underneath the dome, uh, in fact. Hmm. And it was a little spaghetti house that the Bomarito brothers' dad began. And he, he died when the boys were still in high school, and the boys took over instead of going to college, much to their mother's dismay. Tony and Vince, Tony, who is still with us and who is the wine distributor of A. Bomarito Wines. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's some, some backstory that I don't know that younger St. Louisans realize. And something I certainly didn't realize until I read your book is the backstory on one of my favorite restaurants in town, Sydney Street Cafe. I had no idea that this current iteration was something that the neighborhood was initially enormously fearful of. Well, it had gone through, the location had gone through several, um, several proprietorships and... Uh, 
it's a quiet residential location and one of the great things about the hill is they're accustomed to people parking in front of their house and walking a half block to go to dinner. They don't uh, get upset that it's their parking place on the street, and I always give them full credit. But most residential neighborhoods just are not crazy about the sudden appearance of a restaurant um, that that might kind of be disrupting the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this has happened to a restaurant that was owned by a guy who moved in next door to my late husband and me. He used to laugh about the fact that he didn't know he was moving in next door to the Post-Dispatch restaurant critic <laughs> and then opening a restaurant of his own. His family had had one in New Orleans. But um, uh, I, I am sure the Sydney Street now, under the current ownership as well as under the original um is is well received by its neighbors. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. uh, <laughs> I think that that restaurant has brought many people to that neighborhood who then end up appreciating so much of that neighborhood. And I bet in, in many cases have even bought houses there. So, oh, yeah. Benton Park has has moved up in the world considerably in the last 20 years. So, um, Anne, we have a number of, of callers who are interested in joining us with their picks um, for some of these iconic restaurants. And I'll be curious to hear your take on these places. Um, and again, my guest today is Anne Lemons Pollock. Her new book is Iconic Restaurants of St. Louis. There are 41 great places in here. Anne has done an awesome job of, of getting the story behind uh, these restaurants that we're all so familiar with. Uh, let's go to Troy, who's calling from Belleville. Um, Troy, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, hi, thank you for taking my call. I, I was wondering, did you include uh, Mother's Fish or another restaurant, old restaurant called Sarah Lou's in your book? I did not, but I have Mammer Jammer in there, if you know, if you knew Mammer Jammer. And I also have the Delmonico Diner. Oh, okay. Yeah, they- I remember those. Uh, thank you for that call, Troy. Tell us about Mammer Jammer. This was one of my favorite chapters in the book because this place sounds so hilarious and, and just different. Oh, well, Mammer Jammer was, um, there was a sandwich by that name, uh, although at one point the name was the Mammer Jammer Stockade, and it was a, a an extremely spicy version of um, the, the, uh, the cheesesteaks out of Philadelphia, hmm. and there were nine degrees of heat. <laughs> And I have included the wording of the descriptions of each of the nine levels of heat. Uh, there were other things there as well. But, well, and uh, I got to interrupt you. I mean, we have to read some of these descriptions of the heat. I mean, these, these are hilarious. Uh, regular. I leave it to you. Yeah. I leave it to you. The regular Mammer Jammer, no fire. It's for the faint-hearted. Um, and then things escalate from there. You get to mild, to hot, to extra hot. If you're extra hot, you like living on the edge. Super hot. You've got one foot over the edge. Mary Francis, the hottest high-stepping mama in town. Big John, rest in peace. Notify next of kin and then the last one the spiciest one it you are in the hereafter you've officially died from how hot this sandwich is <laughs> how could this place ever have gone under it sounds like it as they called themselves st louis's most unique sandwich it was it was uh, it there it was a very small operation one man and some help 
Um, it was when I first came across it, it was where Olive and Lindell come together, and that building is now gone. It disappeared for a while, it would move around, but it was open late enough that, oh, newspaper men getting off their evening shift or hospital people getting off their evening shift, and probably musicians and theater people would come by and pick up a sandwich and mm, probably eat it to go because there was never much room to sit down at Mammer Jammer. Mm. Uh, and they did other things other than this sandwich. Uh, I remember eating my first tripe sandwich there. Whoa. But, yeah. <laughs> you like you tripe. Know, I, I do like tripe. Um, I came into it by accident. I used to be a very cowardly eater when I was a kid. And, and, uh, and that clearly what? changed for you. What, uh, what changed that? Well, I started dating a man who was very worldly. Hmm. And I didn't want to look like a kid from Deloge with straw in my hair. And so I just swallowed hard and ordered the least offensive thing on the menu and discovered that my mouth was not, you know, I, I was not, I was not making a fool of myself. And eventually, much later, I realized that my problem as a kid was that I was afraid that I'd get something in my mouth I didn't like and there was no polite way to dispose of it. And I knew my parents would never let me dispose of it impolitely. <laughs> you had to swallow once it was there. Yeah, pretty much. And um, so actually tripe is one of the few things that I would eat that my late husband would not. <laughs> and I led him down the primrose path on that, including him barking at a waiter uh, in the south of France when I ordered tripe. And the waiter was like, you don't want this. <laughs> and, and Joe gave gave the waiter the look and said give it to her so uh, yeah yeah i do he, he like set that. them straight and and for uh, for those who are not familiar with ann's background her late husband uh, was joe pollack of course the the iconic uh st louis post-dispatch restaurant critic we have time for just one more call here let's go to jerry uh calling from o'fallon um jerry hi you're on st louis on the air thank you um Canetto's, of course is uh, one of the iconic places uh for uh, me and, and my family. Um, I, I'm young enough to have uh, been brought to the drugstore. Vince Canetta was uh, my best friend. and uh, Very impressive. Yeah, those yeah, are some good credentials there, Jerry. Apart. And yes, I remember them cooking in the back of the drugstore that was uh, right next door. And the other thing I remember was uh, when they opened in 1974, my father and all of his friends were looking at the Canetto brothers like they were crazy because, you know, you know, you know the, the failure rate of new restaurants. But, of course, from day one, it was, uh, it was a big hit and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, continues uh, with virtually about the same menu. Uh, you know, Pretty almost close. Uh, 50 years later. Hmm. Well, Jerry, thank you for that call. And Canetto's, uh, yes, this is something that is featured here in your book, Anne. And I talk about the pharmacy. I talk about the pharmacy, too. So that story and much more in iconic restaurants of St. Louis. Um, but, Anne, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk briefly about the bigger picture here. This is now your fifth book about St. Louis restaurants, and the timing just seems so challenging for these places. Did you have any sense, as, as you were putting the finishing touches on this, that this would be coming out even as local restaurants face what they're now facing? I sent this manuscript off this the afternoon of the last night in March that everything was fully open. Mm. 
And only one restaurant in the book has closed since this began. That's that's Cusinelli's down on Lee May Ferry. Um, and, you know, you could see the coming storm, but by the time it became apparent, I was probably halfway through things. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm a retired RN. And... Um, I believe that we will get through this. I don't know. I'm not going to predict in terms of how many restaurants will make it. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, people will go back to eating out again. And in the meanwhile, if you love a restaurant, get carry out from it and, and tip really well. Tip, tip as though you were sitting there and you'd had a particularly fine wine or maybe an extra cocktail tip lavishly people are hurting mm -hmm. there's a line that i use sometimes if kitchens are the heart of a home restaurants are the heart of a city so let's take care of these people well, Anne, that's a that's just a great note to end on, and it is it is an unprecedented time for these restaurants. So many are in a, a bad place, and I do want to just underscore what Anne just said, um, just how important it is to support them in any way you can right now. And we also want to encourage people uh, to check out this book, Iconic Restaurants of St. Louis. Um, you can buy your copy through very many local bookstores. We'll make sure that's also linked on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. And Anne Lemons Pollock, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Always happy to talk about food. <laughs> and our listeners as well. I feel bad people had so many places they were hoping we would get to today, and, and we didn't. Uh, people had thoughts on Duff's, on the Park Moor, on O.T., Hodges Chili, all sorts of wonderful places I haven't heard of, but I'm sure you had. And we're going to have to have you back on soon to do this again. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.